Welcome to the Lindsay Hadley Podcast Show. I'm coming to you from the North Shore of Oahu, where weekly I interview some of the world's most inspiring people from business, philanthropy, and entertainment. I love collecting humans, and these are some of my favorites I've found along the way. This podcast is brought to us by Capita Financial Network. Do you need help with the next steps of your financial plan? Think Capita. Capita is a financial network built around you. They have a team of financial advisors, CPAs, state attorneys, Medicare providers, and social security experts to help you accomplish your financial goals. Call or schedule a complimentary consultation at 801-566-5058 or visit their website at capitafinancialnetwork.com. You can also check out their financial education podcast, The Financial Call, available on Apple, Google, Spotify, and YouTube. Hi, welcome to the Lindsay Hadley podcast show. Today we have Maria Baltazzi on as our special guest. And I'm so excited to talk with Maria for a bunch of reasons. As a budding filmmaker, I'm just having swoon career crush on her for her amazing background as a producer of one of the most famous live unscripted television shows in history, um, Survivor. And for those of you who haven't seen it, I don't know what rock you were living under. Maybe you were literally on an island trying to survive if you haven't heard of this television show. Um, but Maria, we can't wait to hear about you and your background in psychology. You're a connoisseur of all things happiness and joy and a, a teacher. Um, and you've written a new book. I can't wait for you to share a little bit about your journey. Maria, why don't you share a little bit with our guests? Um, first of all, thank you for coming on the show and maybe launch into sharing a little bit about your story. What got you where you are today? And tell us a little bit about you. Well, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Uh, you have quite a, a background yourself in all of the things that you've done in terms of bringing filmmakers and, and doing social impact work and creating festivals. So um, you have quite, quite a background. So I come from a television background, as you were mentioning, and I spent years, and, and I still do produce, I spent years in the in the production trenches. And as time went on, I was noticing that the demands, the 24-7 demands of production, whether it was with a small group of uh, three people, cameraman, sound guy, and um, uh, some sort of utility person, or a large team of 120, just the, the demands and expectations were beginning to wear on me and they were beginning to wear on me in a way that I felt was uh, mentally and emotionally unhealthy and unsustainable for me. So I just got to a point where I felt like I bottomed out and I remember sitting in my office in Los Angeles thinking this, this that is going on cannot be, it can't stay this way, it can't define me. And so that started my journey of reading books and taking courses and getting certifications and eventually getting a PhD in conscious-centered living. That's so incredible, Maria. Like, I feel um, so grateful for your vulnerability about your journey and saying that you burnt out because I think so many high achievers do. I think it's a very common thing in today's world. I think that the, the frenetic pace of life, the performative um, aspects of our culture, um, the inability to connect with ourselves and heal traumas and things, that we're just kind of in an environment that is kind of inevitably headed towards a cliff when it comes to our well-being. And so 
sharing that with you and you're at the peak of a successful career doing amazing things in one of the most, you know, razzle-dazzle environments you can be in in Hollywood. Can you share a little bit about, did you see like um, warning flags and were lots of other people dealing with this or did you feel in a silo and was there a stigma around this burnout? Can you share a little bit about that process and the awareness of when you realize this is unsustainable or did it just happen to you where some people end up having like a health crisis or they bottom out in their marriage or literally like the, the deck of cards falls over. How was it for you when you finally realized it was unsustainable? I feel that it happened all at once during a very difficult show. And then when I started to catalog, go back on this production and that production, I started to notice certain certain repeat things, how I, I wouldn't sleep enough, I, I wouldn't eat properly, I would take on, and this was really the biggest thing for me, is that I cared too much. I cared too much that the crew was comfortable. I cared too much that the, that the network you know, was pleased, that the production company was pleased, that the talent was pleased. You're, you're trying to you know, do this juggling act of getting a high quality show done while managing all of these very intense personalities and it was just getting to me, you know, I just emotionally, I was just taking too much on and it, it just got to a point where I said, okay, <laughs> we have to change this. This is not, this is not good. This is. So Maria, you noticed these patterns. Did you, um, did you come to like a full pattern disrupt? Was it a halt or did you know how to like slowly extrapolate yourself from the frenetic pace and unsustainable lifestyle or did you have like an Indiana Jones moment where you switched, you know, the, the artifact for the bag of sand and this like perfect timing? Or how, how did you unravel what was being done? Well, you used the good word. It was unravel. Yeah, it, it, it was over time. You, you start to notice that, that you're not feeling your best. You're not performing your best. And make a conscious decision that you want to change that. But you need to learn how to do that. You, you, you know, you can't say, oh, I want to change and suddenly you know how. It's, it's, a, it's a learning curve and it takes a lot of effort and, and dedication. And I'm still learning. You know, it, it's, it's, an ongoing, it's an ongoing thing. And, and the way I look at it is... I made a conscious choice of how I wanted to be in this world. And then I have made that choice every day since then. So that's step number one, is you have to want. You have to make that choice. If you don't want to do anything, nothing happens. And then you actually need to do something about it. Saying I want change is great, but if you're only saying that you want change, you're not doing anything intentional about it, then you're dreaming. So you need the intentional activities, which is what I ended up uh, writing about that became my book, is, is you can learn the virtues and qualities and habits of happy people to make yourself happier. And that's what I did. And it, it comes through reading books. It takes taking courses spending time in stillness, traveling, reflecting, 
you know, these are all conscious things that you are doing. You know, you are training yourself to become aware of your behavior, your emotions, and your thoughts. So when they are negative, or what I like to say is uncon uh, um, unproductive, you want to be able to have that awareness so you can shift, you can make changes that are more positive and going in the direction that, that you want to go. So I love what you're saying, because I think most human beings could relate to what you're saying in terms of we find joy and happiness and stillness, travel. Um, you talked about being aware of their patterns and, and kind of, you know, the self-actualization or the self-discovery and self-awareness and mindfulness that we're learning so much about right now. Where did you start? Like, you know, you do you, you had a psychology degree from what I understand. And did, uh, it's was that a degree in, did that predate it, your work? Yeah. It's a, it's actually a degree in conscious living. So it's not a psychology degree. It's 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 mm. uh, conscious living and the specialty being uh, happiness studies and mindfulness. So it's a I I I went I wouldn't put myself up against a, a psychologist. It's it's a different training than than what I had. So what I did is is I I sat down and and I made a list of the things that were working for me. My faith, being loving, mindful of my health in in a three-dimensional mind body spirit way. You know, those kinds of things. So I, I, I qualified these, these um, virtues and qualities. And then I went out and looked for the science to see if it backed up what I was intuitively feeling. And that's what became my book. And my book, uh, uh, my book is uh, Eight Happiness Essentials. And it's the, the virtues and qualities and habits that I think make for a happier existence. And then coming from a creative background, I wrote the book that I wished I would have had early in my journey. Yeah, there are many great teachers out there. There are many great books that are out there. They're sitting on my shelf. They're full of bookmarks. However, I wanted something that was creative. So for me, coming from a creative background, trying to learn these concepts, taking it out of my head and bringing it into, you know, my heart, the way I found I could do that was creatively. And I, I have the book around three main things. So there's eight happiness essentials. And then I offer at the end of... Um, at the end of every concept that I write about, I offer a photo op, and then I also offer what I call an action opportunity. So you're taking an image or images, and then you're also writing. And what that is doing is creating awareness. When you look at your thoughts, they're in pictures. I think for most of us, they're in pictures. You know, we form images in our heads. We form this constant flow of, of a story that, that we're telling ourselves that isn't always, always healthy. So I give photo assignments 
and it works two ways. It, it helps you focus on just your image and what you want picture frame wise. It focuses you on an image. It quiets you, so it becomes meditative, and it helps you to see how you're seeing, how you are seeing the world, the things that are meaningful to you. And then when you're writing, you're taking, because there, there's specific things that I'm asking you know, uh, readers to, to write about. So you'll take this, this blob of thought, and then by writing about it, you start to shape it, and you start to clarify it, and it becomes cathartic. And then I, I have a, a reader's community where you can share your experiences, and, and it makes you feel not alone. It helps you be accountable. Uh, you see that other people share some of the same experiences, or they offer you a different perspective. So you are getting anchored in the material in three different ways, writing about things that matter to you, uh, photographing things that are meaningful to you, and then sharing it in a safe community. And I think that that is a beautiful way to learn that takes it from your head and, and brings it into your heart. I love that. So it's a really reflective process, it sounds like. Um, tell me a little bit about what do you say to people who, for example, I struggled for years right now. I'm I'm finally well and my mental health is in a great place and I don't struggle anymore with anxiety and depression. I did a lot of the things that you suggested and others. But what do you what do you what do you say to people who are struggling with intrusive thoughts? You know, when you're in ruminating thoughts and you really it's all consuming, like someone who's going through severe grief or very turbulent. I mean, look what I mean, all over the world we have unbelievable civil unrest and wars and you know, unthinkable horrors happening. I mean, are there, have you learned from the research how, what people can do when they're in situational dire positions? I mean, you dealt with survivors every day that were in a fight or flight constantly, you know, people, even though it was a game and there was aspects to it, that gets very visceral when you're hungry and you're tired and you're cold. Like, you know, does the research reflect back on your history with your work on survivor of like the prefrontal cortex shutting off and people getting into you know, their amygdala swollen and all the things that happen when we're in um, distress. Can you share a little bit about that? You know, dealing with concepts and, and actual activities as, a, as opposed to sort of naming brain areas and functions, you know, making it a little bit more practical. Um, you know, the first step is, is learning to become more aware of your thoughts. You know, that, that you make that choice that you want to become more aware of your thoughts so you can do something. Because if you look at it, it is you have a thought, you have a thought, you have a thought, and in between the thought is a gap, and in that gap you can make a choice to have a different thought. But you do that with awareness. And meditation is a great place to start for that. You know, whether it's transcendental, I, I uh, teach primordial sound meditation, which is a type of transcendental meditation. It's Deepak Chopra's brand of, um, of TM. And so you have that awareness and, and that you're also consciously taking pauses to check in with yourself. Yeah, and if you are realizing that, that you, the, the images in your head are just running amok and in loops, you can, with that awareness, you can change it. And one of the things that I do 
all the time when I'm ruminating on things or, or, or uh, a thought starts to come into my head and I don't want to run away with it. It's, it's called thought stopping. And I think it came out of the University of, of Columbia where literally you clap your hands, you snap your fingers, you tell yourself to stop it. And what that does is you are startling your thought. And when you do that, then you can make another uh, uh, another choice. So that you know that's one thing which I, I I use all the time. You know we're thinking beings, and we're also predisposed to that negative bias that at at one time in our development was there to to actually protect us, and and now it's it's actually hurting us, and so it's. You're, you're a human when negative thoughts come up. It's what you do with them. And that's where the awareness comes in and then the desire to change it. So, you know, that's, you know, that's the, the other thing. And then on the other side, I mean, that's just a, an activity you can do. Um, the other thing is, especially when you're going through such, such a difficult time as, as I mean, as the world is exploding yet again, is you allow those feelings. You, know, you just, instead of, instead of squelching them, which isn't good for you either, because then that brings up a whole nother host of issues, but you allow them, you talk them out, you write them out, you, you have that catharsis of getting it out of your system. And then then you make that conscious choice to be done with it and, and go on to other, other more constructive things. And the way you do that is then start to look for what is working, what is good, what is constructive, what is positive. So you start to shift away from what isn't working and you, you get that out of your system, you know, how however you need to do that. And now you can, you can make the ch conscious choice to look for what Dr. Hansen uh, calls savoring the good. And, and it's also one of my favorite um, uh, practices that I have learned in my journey and I use all the time is that, that you look for what is working and, and you attach yourself to that. And when you make that a, a, a conscious choice day in, day out, that actually becomes your habit. That becomes the way you look at the world because you're creating a, a positive neural pathway away from the negative. I love that. It, it feels so empowering. Um, and I, I think with mental health, there's such, you know, I've, I've, I've having my, again, my own lived experience and doing lots of research and understanding and years of therapy and lots of people struggling with it. How much is like, you know, they talk about, you know, it's in your locus of control and then there's like chemical imbalances or like you said, they, you know, people just have to get through these really difficult things. Cause I know that for a lot of people, just changing the mindset isn't, isn't always, you know, it's too much inertia and too much stuff they have to go through. But what I love about what you're saying is it's something we can we can do, we can do everything we can to build a practice. And maybe, maybe you're not going to be incredible at it, but every effort you spend trying to disrupt the thought, practice meditation, awareness, get in, 
you know, get into your body. Like you said, let yourself feel these things, come up with these tools or use uses. It's all going to help. Maybe you're not going to be at the same level of a person that has no chemical imbalance, but you will improve your plot is what I feel like. I feel like it's all worth the investment. Do you, or is that what the research shows? That's kind of what I've learned from my experience. There is a lot that we have within our control. Sonia Lubomirsky, uh, who heads the research lab and is, is quite a well-known happiness researcher and distinguished professor, she uh, pioneered the concept of a happiness set point. And that happiness set point is, um, if you think of a pie, and 50% of that is determined by your DNA. So what you come into the world with from, from your, your parents. And then 10% is your life circumstance. And then 40%, the remaining 40% of that pie are intentional activities, which I teach in my book. They're intentional activities that you can do to raise the level of your happiness in, in different areas of your life. You know, whether it is increasing your faith or being more grateful or being more forgiving or, or uh, not holding on, being more detached, not holding on to ideas and people so fiercely. You know, so I feel that without getting into the weeds with epigenetics, for your genes to fully express themselves, they need to be in the right environment. So that is there. And then if you have 40% that is within your control for intentional activities and you are leveling up your well-being, there's a good chance that that's also impacting that 10% of your life circumstance. So even if it, it is some kind of physical disability, you can change your point of view on that disability, which up, uh, up levels your overall well-being. So really, you know, at minimum, I'm thinking you have 50% that's, it, that you can affect by conscious choice and, and deliberate activities. And that's, that's what my book is all about. Wow, that, that's a really helpful message. You know, do you find that for some people that might, because I know some people that have just tried so hard to get well and done so much work um, to change their circumstances or change their mindset. They, they apply a lot of these principles and they still are in a lot of psychic pain, right? Because the situations are so dire. Like it's a lot harder to meditate if you're being bombed, for example. I'm going to use an extreme example where got what's going on in the Middle East. I think a lot of the luxury of being in the developed world is that we, you know, a lot of times we the circumstances are nowhere near comparable to what some people in in the developed world are dealing with. And maybe people in really, um, it, it depends. I mean, people can be dealing with very traumatic, very difficult things. Um, I think what you're talking about makes a lot of sense for me. But but how do you how do you help people not feel shame? Because it gets into a place where people get kind of that more archaic, like, oh, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, like change your mindset, just go out right side for a walk, you know, like, and it's like, you know, so, some of this is, it, 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 I guess I'm just wondering of the wrestle of it, because I love what you're talking about and I've lived through it myself, but it's like, it, I almost feel like it'd be like if you, the analogy I would say is if you looked at somebody running a marathon that was in a, that was, a, you know, an amputee, we would be like, that's incredible. You just ran a marathon and you didn't have legs. You know, I feel like sometimes what 
people that are not dealing with a chemical imbalance or epigenetics or situations that others are can look at other people and be like, well, just, I don't know, be happy. And they don't have any idea of what it's like to be in their shoes. You know what I mean? Um, but how do you help people not feel the shame and still want to lean in on what part they can control? Because I think of what you're saying is so inspiring and helpful and useful. Well, I first want to go to how dire somebody is. If you are that stuck in to whatever um, um, mental state, emotional state you are in, you should go seek professional help. You, you, know, you, you know, don't try to do it on your own. And whether it's a psychologist, psychiatrist, coach, um, uh, priest, you know, guru, you know, that, that you go seek somebody who is, who is trained in dealing with what, what your specific trauma is. You know, so that, that is for starters. And then, you know, people who say, oh, buck up, you know, you don't need to feel so down, that, that's not helping you. That is really not helping you. And, and, and this is where the, the work comes in and it's not easy and it, and it takes, it takes time. You know, it, it's not something that, that you just, I've been doing this for over, well over a decade. And, you know, I still, I still have my stuck places. I still have my, my challenges where Everything that I, I have learned and teach goes right out the window. But you know what? I know what my baseline is. I have the tools to come back to a good place. So with training, you come to understand that. And, and the, the people who are shaming you, you learn to block them out. You learn to detach, which is one of my happiness essentials, you learn to detach to what they, who cares what they think about you? It's, you know, it's, it's your life, not theirs. So it's, it's learning to care more about your life and what you think about you than what somebody else does. I love what you're saying, Maria, because it, what you said was it took you, it's taken you 10 years and you still have your stuck places. I think that's where the self-compassion comes in. It's like, we shouldn't be comparing anyone else. Just be like, am I doing better today? Am I seeing the tools that I'm implementing? Are there dividends? And I, I can honestly say they always were, but even though it got better for me, it was really, really hard. And, and I, it, it's, it's been such a gift to learn people that don't know when you sit down with somebody who's been through anything analogous to what you have and there's sympathy and empathy there and they have solidarity, you know, they're just like, I get it. Oh my gosh, this is so difficult or whatever. And there's so much love and compassion and it's just a different worldview. But one of the things you're sharing about just gives me this thought of, um, we don't need to compare anyone, just be in your own journey, implement any of these tools, test them, prove them, right? And if they start to pay dividends, you're going to have a positive virtuous effect, virtuous cycle, so to speak. So tell me, you mentioned the mindfulness, the pattern disrupt, you know, changing your thinking. Can you tell me some some more and we go in a little more detail? You talked about travel. What do you think it is about travel that that allows for so much happiness? I'm a huge, you know, sojourner and connoisseur of traveling. So tell me a little bit about what it is about it that brings um, people happiness and and helps with our well-being. I think travel really 
enables you to come out of your everyday world, to come out of the forest, if you will, so you can see the forest. You know, that, that it's saying, you know, about being in the forest and not being able to see because you're in it. So traveling takes you out of it. It takes you out of your environment. And when you get out of your environment, it gives you space. It gives you grace to reflect. You know, you're not keeping the same schedule. And you can take those pauses through the day. You know, it, it, as long as you're intentionally not overscheduling yourself and not always being you know, on a plane or in an activity, but that, that you, you have downtime to be reflective. And then the, the people that you meet, you know, what, are they, what is it about their worldview? What is it about their culture, their lifestyle that you can learn that is helpful that you can bring into your own life? You know, that, that you know, giving you a different perspective. It's just like, oh, I, I never thought that I could do that. One of the things that made me a little crazy when I first went to Africa and, and went there as a producer, when we would drive from one location to another location, we would stop for everybody. As you're driving through the bush, we would stop for somebody who's walking, the vehicle that was going by, and there would have to be, how are you? How's your mother? How's your brother? Are you feeling okay? And it's just like, ah, oh, really? We've got stuff we have to do. And it taught me, slow down. We still got our show done. We still got our interviews. And it, and it really taught me a big lesson in not only slowing down and still being able to get what you want done, but it also showed me how that, that compassion, that interest, that community, you know, is, is so nurturing. So that's, that's one really beautiful example. That's a beautiful example. I do love that about African. Uh, I've I've been to many countries in Africa, and that is kind of a shared, a shared quality is uh, presence and community. Um, like you said, just a deep other centric approach. They're constantly like checking in with each other and very willing to stop everything they're doing to to be relational. And I think that we can learn so much of that from the West. Um, what would you say to somebody who's like, but I can't afford to travel? You know, I I mean you and I have been super privileged to travel extensively. And um, some of that is um, a financial opportunity. What would you say? Is, is it just as effective as the research show if you just take a little, you know, bus ride um, to a new neighborhood? Yeah. Just, it's just opening your new horizons, right? Go right. wonderment Go. and exploring something new. Yes. If you have a park that's near you, just getting out into nature is just so soothing and healing. It, it just makes you feel good. You go to go towards uh, a body of water and there's uh, negative ions that help you feel good. I, I mean, literally affect your body and helping you to feel better. So there is a just walk around your block. Look at people's gardens. I, I am very fortunate. I live near I live in Los Angeles and I live near Griffith Park, which is LA's version of Central Park, but they're foothills. 
And I can literally go out my back door and be in miles and miles of, of hiking. And the thing, and I have to walk through a neighborhood to, to get to the park. And the thing that I, I still love and love when it happens is when I am walking and I see something that literally makes me stop in my tracks. And I have to take a picture of it because it is, it, it's just so remarkable. And a lot of times for me, it's, it's the small things. It's eight o'clock in the morning and the sun is just hitting a rose in a way that it, that it illuminates the red really pretty and there's a little bit of dew on it. And just taking a moment to put your lens, your viewfinder on that precious flower and just focusing on that. And I'm not thinking about breakfast. I'm not thinking about the credit card person that I was talking to on the phone that was annoying me. I'm not thinking about what I need to do, you know, later in that day. In that few moments when I'm sitting and, and taking a photograph, I'm just, I'm just putting my mind on one thing. And that's how I realized that taking pictures, you don't have to be a photographer to do my book. It's, it's about being aware and mindful of what you're doing. What's right in front of you? What do you care about? And letting that other stuff just fall away and being just present to, the, to that one focus point. I, I love it. I find it so soothing. Yeah, and, and in many respects, in many respects, I like taking stills more than, than uh, working with camera teams. And I love storytelling. I'll always be a storyteller. So I'm not, it, it, it's a different, it's a different experience. When you are shooting a story, you've got a whole team of people around you. They're asking questions. Somebody wants to, to put uh, a, a lamp there. Somebody else wants that same lamp moved somewhere else. You know, somebody else is hungry you know, the, the network is upset about something. I mean, they're, they're, you just have all this activity that's, that's just going on around you. But when you can just focus on one isolated image, it's like nobody's, nobody's talking in your ear. Nobody wants anything just for that moment. And I just find it, in, I just find it incredibly healing. That's so profound. And um, I think that's why art just in general and photography has such a big place in our human culture, right? It, it invites us into presence and an acute awareness of, of the details of, and the beauty in the world and or the pain or the, whatever it is. And there's beauty even in that, but I love what you're saying. So how great. So, I mean, when you talked about letting go this, this idea of surrendering, I mean, that probably was the greatest impetus for my own healing and in, in any given day when I have something that isn't going my way, this surrender, I use my faith and this belief that I give it to God and Jesus. I bring in love and to me, love as a person is Jesus. And I use that as my hack, but, but this idea that like, this isn't my story as much as I want it to be. And I would write it differently. I'm trusting a higher power in this God, that this, that what he's doing with my life is going to be good. You know, even if it's painful and horrible, that ultimately that love will redeem all this and that there's a, beautiful purpose for it all and this surrender. Um, can you talk more about that letting go? Because I think that is probably one of the most um, shared. I've actually had a, on a podcast, Mike Glauser, and he wrote a book called One People, 
on planet he did research where all the major world religions shared like an event diagram shared eternal truths or convictions or doctrinal tenets and one of them was the idea of surrendering um and letting go to a higher power or something bigger um whatever it is and um can you share a little bit about what you've learned about that because i think that's such an incredible subject to explore and such a gift and it's one of the stickier things for us to wrap our head around or to take on board as as a, a practice and that that was part of my early journey was the realization that I was attaching myself to too many things. I was attaching myself to the network wanting things this way, um, the opinion of the cameraman. You know, I was attaching myself to all of that instead of just letting, letting go. And I think that there are different forms, and, and that to me is, is the stickiest one, and I talk about that in my, in my book as well, that, that of all the, the happiness uh, essentials that I write about, this one is the one that I have, I have really had to effort on because you can look at it in so many different ways, what, what you are attached to. And a lot of it is being attached to some kind of result that, that things have to go a certain way. People have to behave a certain way. Society has to do certain things. There, there is some has to and a result attached to it. And when that doesn't go the way you see it in your mind, it causes you upset. It causes you pain, it causes you suffering that you now have to deal with. So when you can let go, when you can surrender to a result, things having to be a certain way, it, it takes pressure off of you. It makes your, it makes your head feel better. It makes your, your body more relaxed. I mean, when you just, I mean, just even doing a, a, a quick thought experiment, you know, just take a moment and think about something you really, 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 really want and you want it to go this way only and notice how it feels on, in your body. Just take a moment and do that. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> tense. What do you, you feel? Kind of intense. Yeah. Tension. Like my stomach feels a knot. So my shoulders kind of tense up immediately when I'm like, I really want that to happen. And I, I feel like I want to like muscle through it and make it happen, you know? Okay, now take that same thought and say, you know what? I'm going to let it go. I'm going to leave it to the universe, God, whatever. I'm setting the intention and then letting something bigger than myself take care of it. How does that, how does that feel? Yeah, it's an immediate release in the whole body in this trust. And it's what a gift that is that we can just choose that in an instance. We can just be like, it's okay. Maybe that's not for me. Maybe I, I'm not, you know, maybe that wouldn't be the best thing for me. Maybe there's a better plan. I mean, that makes it really sweet. There's, man, it's such an amazing, um, like, uh, application just here in this moment, Maria. So thank you. That's amazing. So did, when you said that's the hardest for you, I mean, do you, do you think, oh, so sorry. I was going to say, do you think it's so common that, um, that why that, that that's particularly hard for people that are quite competent? 
Like you're amazing competent lady that can get a lot of things done. I mean, to the complication of running a show like Survivor, I mean, just having produced, you know, a documentary, not even like a, a live television show for those many years with that many complicated things. And, oh, I, I have enough insight into production of what that would be. I mean, you have to have a lot of things in control. You know, if you surrender on too many edges, the thing falls apart, right? So you've had tremendous feedback loops about how your control actually benefited you. So it feels counterintuitive, I would imagine. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because, you know, being competent, people get a lot of payoff for for holding tight, you know? Well, and they also get a lot of um, uh, pushback for being too much in control. It can go against you. And I think as a good leader, what you want to do is have a very clear vision Hire people that you trust that can execute that vision and then just let them do their job. Stand aside and let them do their work. So did you did you find that maybe that's why it's hard for you uh, to surrender because you have in the past, you know, held tight and things worked out? Is that part of what it is? I think that when I think about myself, I think that I'm like, my like effort made that thing happen and I make this correlation and then I'm learning that surrendering is way better because I can still have beautiful things happen, but it can be done from a different energy or way of being. Well, and a lot of times when you're hanging on to something or you're trying to control it, your ego is coming into play in there, you know, and, and the ego trying to protect you on some level by saying, no, you want to control this. Yeah. What I have found and has really been another great lesson in in my life that I use all the time. A, a cornerstone for the happiness essentials that I write about, and a cornerstone for me is faith. However you define it, I'm not I'm not saying what you have to believe in, who you need to believe in. That is deeply personal. For me, having faith in something greater than myself, when things don't work out, yes, I still get upset. I still uh, still get angry or mad. I just don't stay there. And I eventually come around to, this is part of my spiritual curriculum. And when I look at it that way, then I'm okay with the thing that isn't working out. It makes me feel better. That's what gets me through the night. Somebody else might not agree with that. That's fine. I'm just talking about what works for me. And that is, you know, we're all here to, to go on a certain journey and certain obstacles come in our way as, as part of our learning. And, and if I keep hitting the same roadblock, there's something I'm not learning. And that's okay. Eventually I will. Even that right there is a surrender. You know, hey, I keep learning. I'm on this like I'm this common denominator in the same lesson that I'm learning. That can feel really painful and frustrating. You want to get out, but even you going, okay, it'll be all right. We'll figure this out eventually. Such a different way of approaching things. I love that. So um, we talked a little bit about surrender, about mindfulness, about you know being aware of our thoughts in general. Um, meditation practices, slowing down, being in our bodies more. I loved how you said giving yourself permission to feel things. 
I did that recently where I had a really disappointing thing. And I said, I'm going to give myself 10 minutes to feel real bad about this. <laughs> and then I was like, and by the time I'm driving home and I get home, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop feeling bad and I'm going to move on and just choose to believe that it wasn't for me or whatever the outcome was, that this is a good thing in the end. And, um, and then we talked about traveling and wonderment and opening our horizons. Is, are there any other great hacks we haven't covered that are part of this research? Because you said there's five, right? There's eight, but um, uh, oh, eight, eight. I'm sorry. You, yeah. you just, you just, you just mentioned something that's also very important: boundaries. I'll give myself ten minutes to be upset, and then I'm done. And it's so important to have boundaries like that. Boundaries with people. Boundaries are 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 I think huge in terms of your your well being because if you don't set boundaries. You're suddenly embroiled in conversations you don't want to be having, in other people's problems that you don't need to be a part of. You are working hours that are, are crazy, not eating enough, not drinking enough, not sleeping enough. So boundaries are huge to your well-being. Huge, huge, huge. So I'm glad, I'm glad you brought that I, up. I love that. So there, there were eight. Do we miss any of your eight then? Thanks for clarifying again. And your book again yeah. is called, will you tell our listeners so we, and where we can find yes. it? Yes. It's called Take a Shot at Happiness, How to Write, Direct, and Produce the Life You Want. And oh, I love I, it. And you're using that producer and I background. Created, <laughs> I created a creative approach that is uh, around the virtues and qualities of happy people based on my experience and, and findings that, that up-level the quality of your life. And you learn these by way of writing about things that matter, taking photographs that are meaningful, and sharing within our readers' community. So you're taking it from here, your head, and putting it into your heart. So you're oh, really doing, these you're are creating, such beautiful souls. Yeah, you're creating your yeah. happiness world in, in a very uh, holistic, whole being way is what I like to say. You know, it's your, you're, you're really considering your mind, body and spirit. It's your whole being. That's really the better word than well-being. Just people understand well-being better than whole being. But that's, to me, the more accurate word. Like it's productive thinking or constructive thinking as, as opposed to positive thinking, but most people know positive thinking. I love that whole being. That's really, really beautiful. I haven't heard that term as much. So I really enjoy that. So Maria, maybe one last, uh, one or two last questions that we're kind of wrapping up, but um, as the producer of Survivor, like that's, it's a pretty visceral experience. My friend Alexis Jones was one of your contestants. She's got, she just came out with a book called Joy Hunter. And she talks a lot about a lot of the principles you're talking about, and she's going to be on the podcast here soon. But she, her story is really cute how she ended up on your show. She wasn't one of your contestants and she like broke in and like showed up and then told the, the bookers, the talent bookers, like, listen, I got in here past your security and I made it. You want someone like me? And I look smoking hot at bikini. And she just like was so audacious and ended up on your show. Do you remember Alexis by any chance? Were you working on the show when she was on yeah. Alexis Jones? No, I would have left my Okay, then. no worries. I would, I yeah. would have remembered she, that um, person. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It was amazing. But long story short, um, you know, she just talked about how intense, I mean, there was actually like really critical health issues sometimes on set. Like it was, 
it's, you know, you don't know how much is a view or how much is manufactured or dramatized by the producers and the edits and the cuts. But she was like, oh no, like I got really hurt. I was really unwell. People were in really critical situations sometimes. Did you see any of the contestants that won or survived or resilient use some of what, like, can you see looking back the tools that you ultimately use to design and produce a happier life? Can you see that um, amongst any of the show? Do you have any examples of that that people might want to hear? Because I, I just think you, I'm sitting, I'm thinking, what an interesting connection of how you started your life and then what you're doing now um, in such a visceral way. It's a fun connection. It's uh, observation. That That's what, what I felt I had when I was doing the show. And it was two of them that really stayed with me. One of them is not to judge a book by its cover. So you can sit in a hotel room and there's so much diversity on the show. It's every size, shape, color, ethnicity, background, you know, walk of life. And you can sit in a hotel room and somebody looks very physically fit, they're buff, they have the abs, they look smoking hot in a bikini, uh, they, they seem to be very quick-witted, they, they're just awesome in the interview, and then you get them into the environment and they, they totally melt. They, they just can't perform because they're not used to being in a remote environment where they don't have the creature comforts that they're used to at home. So I came to realize that there's two different kinds of fitness. There is the gym and urban, gym, you know, body, mind, herb, gym and urban fitness. And then there is mm -hmm. the out in the world surviving remote fitness where it's a, if it's, it's a different skill set, it's a different kind of mindset in terms of you know, it's one thing to sit in a comfortable apartment in Los Angeles, and it's something else to sit on Toggy Beach in the middle of Borneo, where you know you don't know where your next meal is coming from. You know, and which brings me to the next thing that that I take away from the show is. I always did the very last episode. So I was always with the contestants until the very end. And time and time and time again, I would hear, this is not me. This is just me playing a game. And I'm like, of course it's you. <laughs> These are your actions, thoughts, and behaviors and words coming out of your mouth. I'm not telling you what to say or how to be. Yes, it is you. What you didn't know is that you are capable of this kind of behavior. Yes. But you have not been in the position to bring that shade of your personality out. So you don't know what you can do, whether it's heroic or unheroic. Un you don't know how you're going to be behave in an unfamiliar situation until you get into that unfamiliar situation and you see what comes out in you. It's all you. Wow. And yeah. Sometimes really when you good. strip away everything, you're seeing the worst of people. And sometimes you strip away everything and you see the best in people. I saw it both ways on, on the seasons that I did Survivor. I think that's why the general public fell in love with the show. You know, you guys showed humanity that everyone can relate to. 
and we could see ourselves in these contestants and in these situations, even though we weren't on the beach in Mario with bot flies, you know, we, we were, we were able to see ourselves in some way on, on that and, and, um, understand the human nature in general. So, you know, thank you so much for sharing your tools to find happiness and, you know, holding, um, with our audience and Maria is such a delight. I'm so grateful we had you on the show. Is there anything else you want to share with our listeners that maybe is like a takeaway or a call to action or way to connect or anything that you want to share? I'd love to give you that last little minute to, to do so. Well, certainly the, the call to action would be buy my book, <laughs> but, um, I'm in, going in, to, in, I'm going to for in, sure. In a more, in a more, um, in a more uh, giving way, <laughs> is that that happiness is a choice. And to really get that concept, that happiness is a choice that is then backed up by intentional activities, and you do this consistently, you do it over time, it will change your life. And that happiness is not this fluffy thing. It's not that you are always whistling and everything is, is perfect. Happiness is actually, to me, a very pretty word for resilience. You learn these tools. You learn the tools of, of happiness, the virtues and qualities of, of happy people, so you can navigate the challenging times. That's the real beauty of the work. I love that. Happiness is resilience. I love that so much. Well, Maria, thank you so much. You brought me a lot of joy today to meet you and connect. And I'm so grateful you came on the show. Thank you again. Thank you. It's really been a lot of fun. Thank you for spending time with me. Do you need help with the next steps for your financial plan? Think Capita. Capita is a financial network built around you. They have a team of financial advisors, CPAs, estate attorneys, Medicare providers, and social security experts to help you accomplish your financial goals. Call to schedule a complimentary consultation at 801-566-5058 or visit their website at www.capitafinancialnetwork.com. You can also check out their financial education podcast, The Financial Call, available on Apple, Google, Spotify, and YouTube.